Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast often deals with graphic, violent and horrific crimes against men, women and children. Please listen at your own discretion. If you are affected by any of the themes featured in this episode, please contact your local support charity. She had been drunk and sort of fallen out of her club and gone looking for a taxi and he'd gone and found her. It's a very chemical smell, like almost like the strongest bleach you've ever smelt. It's, and it sort of sort of lingers on you. With his back to the camera, and all lit up, and then you realise that you, you know he's got a body in front of him, a female body. So if he'd started cutting them up you know, immediately after they died, that would be very, very bloody. Because she struggled, I killed her. The, he filmed himself having sex with the body, so there was a, an act of necrophilia uh, recorded. Catching Worms, a Hong Kong true crime podcast. Three months had passed, and the investigation into Chan Fan Lam had no real leads. Three months had given Lam time to go shopping. He had bought a pair of toy handcuffs, a knife which he kept next to the driver's seat in his cab, and plastic sheeting. Picking up Chan Fan Lam was spare of the moment, opportunist. He wasn't prepared. He used money stolen from Chan Fan Lam to purchase a saw to cut up her body but he wasn't happy with the results. On the 26th of May, he visited a pharmacy in search of better tools for the job. Telling the pharmacist he was a young medical student, he was recommended to purchase a scalpel and formaldehyde. He continued to drive his taxi at night, prowling the hot and steamy streets of Kowloon, watching and waiting. As a taxi driver, you got to know an area well. You knew what time the bars closed, the people you could pick up, and where you could find them. 
Lam Korwan could cherry pick his passengers. Lam Korwan liked to keep a record. He said, and I quote, Whenever I do something big, I want to remember it. It is a habit. So I wrote in the calendar. In this monthly calendar, he created his own code for his killings. He called them actions, serious actions. On the 29th of May, 1983, he marked in his calendar, action second, doing 5.15am. Chan Wan Kit was 31 years old and worked in a bar. It was the early hours of the morning and Chan Wan Kit just wanted to get home. Jumping into a cab, she instructed the driver to take her back to her flat. Lam turned around and reaching for the knife by the driver's seat, he threatened her. He handcuffed her in the back seat, then parked up and used an electrical cord to strangle her to death. Lam drove back to his apartment, carried her body inside and hid her under the sofa. Then, when the coast was clear, he moved the body into his bedroom and locked the door. Setting up his photography equipment, lights and camera, he began to work on the corpse in front of him. Detective Martin Richmond worked on the case and explained how they identified her body. It was quite peculiar because he... Um the second victim, and she had been drunk and sort of fallen out of her club and gone looking for a taxi and he'd gone and found her. <coughs> they had just met up that way. She, he claimed that she had been sick, had to open the door and been sick and he claimed to have been revolted by all of that. Uh, but he was taking photographs of her and video of her in this little room and there was a an accident whereby one of the lamps, the photographic lamps that he had, fell onto her and burned, scorched her inner thighs. So happily, she was dead. But then he took photographs of that. So we not only had video of this happening, we've got photographs of the body in situ with um, this, um, these various scorch marks so we could identify all of that. He recorded his work. Lam, still a virgin, played with her corpse. He groomed her pubic hair and examined her vagina close up. He then set about cutting up her body into separate pieces, limb by limb, filming and photographing it as he went. Lam was creating his own ritualistic pornography. He named the tape a serious secret. But how was Lam keeping this a secret? So I am a lecturer in pharmaceutical medicine at King's College London. So before somebody dies, um, if they so wish, uh, they can uh, donate their body uh, to medical research or medical education. Um, so medical research might be if there are like samples, um, maybe of the cancer or anything that people can then use in a lab. Um, but medical education is quite different, and that is normally uh, the terminology or, or can be the terminology that is used um, for if you wish to donate your body um, to um, uh, further learning uh, 
through anatomy normally, which is uh, when you are dissected. I mean, for, even from your own memory, when you first started studying, what were the normal reactions to, to that, that first experience? You know, myself, uh, when I was an undergraduate student going in and the undergraduate students of today are going into these rooms, it's, it's, it's a very much solemn affair, very respectful affair. Um, you know, there's no joking around in the dissection room. Does it make people queasy, sick? I think maybe like the first time that you're in there. Uh, it, it can make you a bit a bit queasy, a bit uneasy. Um, I personally, myself, um, have never been particularly comfortable being in there. Um, and uh, me and my other colleague used to take it in turns every year as to who, who had to go into the dissection room because um, neither of us particularly enjoyed being in there. So, uh, yeah. And when the bodies come to the dissection room, how long have they been dead for? Um so how long they've been dead for? Uh, well, it really depends where they've come from. Um, so there's two, uh, as far as I'm aware, I've worked with two different types, so to speak, of preserved cadaver um, in the dissection room. And those are the ones um, uh, that are just fresh frozen. So they've been uh, frozen very, very quickly uh, soon after death. And the reason they just use the frozen bodies is because they're as, as lifelike as they're going to be. You know, the, the tissue is still the texture um, that it would be. There'd be, you know, the blood vessels are still going to be um, uh, full and there. Um, so it's as lifelike as possible um, for sort of trialing new surgical techniques. Uh, the majority of bodies, though, are preserved um, in formaldehyde. And this basically sort of cures um, the body material, for want of a better word. Um, and it tends, you know, the skin goes a bit r- more rubbery, uh, the muscles sort of harden more. Um, and that's a much more stable state that dissections can be done in um, because you can um, uh, uh, more easily dissect out the various anatomical pieces than if they were sort of the fresher, more jelly muscle like uh, preparation that is done for the, um, the fresh frozens for sort of developing new surgical techniques. And so what do you know what formaldehyde actually is? Formaldehyde is a chemical that's very nasty. Um, if you're around it for too long, it can actually, I think there's some evidence now that um, uh, it can actually cause cancers. Um, it's not particularly good for you. What's it like? Is it like, what colour is it? What does it smell? Oh, it's it just smell? like a clear, it's just, a, oh, it smells absolutely foul. Yes. Um, so it's just a clear fluid and it's, I don't know, it's a very chemical smell, like almost like the strongest bleach you've ever smelt. It's, and it sort of sort of lingers on you. Um, it's, it's not a pleasant smell. Uh, when you're sort of in the, in the medical school, um, the area, uh, the corridor that the dissection room is on, even though it's behind multiple um, key-coded doors that have um, got multiple uh, locks and barriers before you can get into the room. The, the formaldehyde has sort of seeped down the corridor and you can you can tell that you're getting closer towards it. So if someone had formaldehyde in the situation that I'm talking about, he had body parts that he'd cut out mm-hmm. and he placed it in formaldehyde to preserve it and he'd hidden it under his bed. But he shared mm-hmm. a bedroom with his brother and a, sh- a very small Hong Kong apartment with his Gosh. father and mother for months. I mean, that's a tough one. Like, 
I'm trying to think of sort of an analogy for this, but if you're cooking some food, um, you don't necessarily notice that the house smells of curry because you've been cooking it and you've been there as the smells have been developing and your brain sort of deletes that smell for you. But if you were to like leave the house and come back again, you'd be like, whoa, the house smells like curry. Like this is you know, very obvious. Um, so the only thing I can think of is that to not notice the smell, you know, it would be because they just become accustomed to it being there. Um, and as I said, it, it, it's sort of like a, a chemical sort of cleaning smell. So, you know, maybe he was making an excuse that, I don't know, he did a lot, lots of cleaning. Um, I don't know. It's yeah, all sorts maybe. of may, maybe excuses that could be made for it. But I mean, it's it's a very, for me, it's a very distinct smell. Like if I, if I smell formaldehyde, I'm like, oh, we're near a dissection room. But, you know, that's a learned smell because I've been told what that smells like. Whereas... If you know, if you just smelt it and were told it was cleaning fluid, you know, I think that was perfectly believable. Yeah, he he bought gallons of formaldehyde from a, a pharmacy somewhere. But it's got a very distinctive and strong smell. Yes, and all the family would go sniff, sniff, Christ, what's that? And then they would interrogate him and two things would happen. First of all, he would say, look, well, I'm doing my photography stuff. And secondly, if they pushed harder, he got very he got very aggressive, very angry with them. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. How dare you question what I'm doing, etc., etc. Uh, for example, his brother sharing a room like that, when his brother, when Lamb wasn't there, his brother used to go and look at his magazines and look at his particularly his records. Uh, but Lamb had filed them in such a way that he knew if anybody was looking at them. And well, so he came back and then he flew into a rage. How dare you touch my stuff? There was a big f fist fight. And it was because uh, the brother had been... Uh, had had the temerity to look at his stuff, you know. The family were rather in awe of him in that, uh, but they knew they they all uh, you uh, said, well, we didn't think that, you know. There were occasions when there were lots of funny smells coming out of there, but when we query, you know, we queried him, and he he said it was his photo photo developing stuff, and told us not to interfere. He got very grumpy when everybody interfered with him. That was Detective Martin Richmond and Dr. Caroline Copeland. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Having worked all night and now all morning, Lam woke from his afternoon nap to get ready for his next shift. He had hidden the body parts, some wrapped in plastic sheeting, others, more interesting and valuable to him, stored in Tupperware under his bed. Before his family got home from work, he moved the bags full of body parts to the boot of his taxi. Switching off his light, he drove across the central tunnel arriving on Hong Kong Island just outside the busy shopping district of Causeway Bay. Skirting around the edge of Victoria Park, he headed towards a spot he had pinpointed a few nights previously on the Taihang Road. 29-year-old Lung Sao Wan was about to become the star of a new movie, A Rainy Night Mission. In the early hours of the 17th of June, Lam struck again. Lung Sao Wan was similar to his previous victims. Leaving her job at a nightclub just after three, it had begun to rain. She flagged down the red taxi BY5785. Lam noticed she wasn't drunk, just tired after a long night. Perhaps she would struggle. Perhaps this time it would be more difficult. Wrapping the electrical cord around her neck, he pulled tightly until she couldn't fight him anymore. This time, he set up his camera on the top bunk of the bed in the room he shared with his brother and set to work carefully removing her vagina and placing it into a large jar full of formaldehyde to pickle it. Lamb then cut open her stomach and removed her large intestine. He attempted to eat it, but later said, I didn't swallow it. I didn't like the taste. Lam was creating a medical modus operandi. I asked Dr. Caroline Copeland, was there a method to his madness? Obviously, he wasn't trained in how to cut up bodies. So for his first victim, he used an electric saw. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he moved on to using a scalpel. Um what, in your opinion, what do you think uh, for a body that's, I guess, the most close to, for your experience would be, I guess, a frozen body? But obviously, this body's only been dead a few hours. Yeah, if he was to chop up that body with a saw, do you, what kind of level of blood do you imagine that that would cause? Uh, that's going to be pretty messy. I mean, it depends upon how soon after the person died that he's cut them up. Um, because as soon as somebody dies, um, your blood begins to clot in your veins. Um, so if he'd started cutting them up you know, immediately after they died, that would be very, very bloody. Uh, but if they waited a few days, maybe less. But I mean, still, it's going to be messy. Um, there's going to be fluid 
all sorts, you know, you, you need plastic sheeting everywhere to stop that uh, getting on uh, on your soft furnishings in an apartment. Using a scalpel, how easy would that be? That seems, still sounds like it'd be, I mean, to chop off parts of limbs of, of the body, the head. How would they normally take a part of body? What tools would they use? So you'd, you'd normally, for the bone sections, use an electric saw. But, you know, using a blade for the, the soft tissues is not particularly out of the usual. To use a, a scalpel, though, to cut, cut major bones, you know, you'd really have to persevere to do that. You know, bones are quite hard, so it would be possible, but I wouldn't think particularly fast. Um, maybe less damaging than a saw if you if you did it really carefully, but yeah, not not particularly efficient with a scalpel. I wouldn't say. Yeah, I suppose less damaging might be important because he cut off parts like he cut out their vaginas and their breasts and saved those parts of the bodies, whereas the rest of the body he wrapped up and threw away. So I'm guessing that maybe the use of the scalpel was to to keep the integrity of those body parts yeah I mean, right? if you were taking out soft tissue like that you'd, you'd use a, a a scalpel knife over an electric saw absolutely yeah that'd be much more precise for those soft tissues particularly i mean it sounds like he's cutting them prior to them being preserved in formaldehyde which means that the tissues are still going to be you know as you know as an alive person would be so very jelly uh when you um uh, when you preserve tissues in, in formaldehyde, they harden somewhat in the preservation process. Dissecting that live or near alive tissue uh, is much more difficult and so it would require much more precision. And really, it it became obvious that he'd, he'd killed three or four women. Physical remains, I think, at the flat would have indicated at least three. There was a complete... Uh, what the uh, doctors claimed to be like a pubic synthesis which includes part of the pubic bone but it had just been completely removed At least three with Chan Fang Lan Chan Wan Kit and Lung Sao Wan was the jar murderer any closer to being caught or would he strike again? killed three times. Each time he had picked up what he perceived to be a nightclub girl falling out of a bar at the end of the night. He described them as useless to society to start with. All these girls met the same fate. Strangulation by electric cord, carried past a sleeping doorman, hidden in Lamb's family apartment under the sofa, molested on camera in the creation of trophy pornography, filmed, photographed and decapitated. Their sexual organs cut out and saved in Tupperware boxes. Lam was getting his method down to a fine art and now desired something more. Leung Wai Sum was a third child in a family of five. It was 9pm and Wai Sum knew her mother would worry if she stayed out late. So she decided, rather than to carry on the party with her friends who were celebrating graduation, she would be responsible and head home. She was different to the other girls. It wasn't late. She wasn't drunk. She wasn't a bar girl, just a student. 
innocent and virginal. She was 17 and pretty. She had bright eyes, a curvaceous body, and a spotless creamy complexion. She was a Form 6 student who had just left a dinner party with her classmates in a TST hotel. It was raining, and they put her in a taxi at 9 p.m. to send her home. Unlucky for her, she picked Lamb's taxi. In spite of his lingering doubts, he found himself turning into a quiet area in Shatin instead of the estate in Fortan where the girl lived. Lam told her not to worry. Something was wrong with the tires, and he had to check them in a convenient location. When he parked the car in an isolated wooded area, he went to the back seat and forcibly handcuffed the girl's wrist to the front seat. Lam looked at his watch and it was only 9.30 p.m. Too early for whatever monstrous transgression he was planning. An extract from Hong Kong Noir by Feng Chi Xuan, published by Blacksmith Books. They sat chatting on the back seat. Lam asked about her family, what she was studying. He searched through her handbag and asked her about every item he found. He asked her about her boyfriend, her sex life. Lam had never had a girlfriend or even a girl he could talk to. In films made about Lam Kor Wan, this is the only moment she might have sympathy for him. He was lonely. He sat there with her for hours and hours, talking and maybe in his own way flirting. He was in need of a friend. This was the only one of his victims he had spent any time with or spoken with at any length. He liked her, but she was sat handcuffed on his back seat. As time passed, many believed he was debating his next move. Martin Richmond, homicide detective, explains. The most cruel one was the fourth victim, who was the young girl, who I think he had some qualms about because he took her to a spot near the Longcheng Road in Kowloon quite close to a gas station there. Quite a busy road, actually, but anyway, a taxi wouldn't attract attention. She was in the front, of course, she was in the back, and he sat there talking to her about her life for a number of hours. He was in his 20s and she was 17. They sat there chatting politely without so much as touching each other's clothing. They could easily be mistaken for a young couple dating for the first time and having yet to break the ice. A few hours later, he strangled her. Why do you have to kill her? She struggled. She struggled. Because she struggled, I killed her. Is that right? Right, right. An extract from Hong Kong Noir by Feng Chi Xuan published by Blacksmith Books, followed by a scene from the 1985 movie The Hong Kong Butcher. She was the, the only victim that we, there was any evidence of um, when he got her back to the room and uh, there, there wasn't much uh, sort of 
surgical going on, but the, he filmed himself having sex with the body. So there was a, an act of necrophilia uh, recorded. He filmed himself having sex with his victim. This was his first time. There is a discrepancy here, as some reports suggest he lost his virginity with his second victim, Chan Wan Kit. But it was clear he was passionate about Leung Wai Sum, and his desire for her lasted even after she had died. Wai Sum was special. She was the only victim Lam had feelings for, and he wanted to keep more of her, so he carefully removed her breasts one by one. Then, as he always did, he cut out her private parts and preserved his trophy in formaldehyde. He captured everything on videotape, wanting the world to see. He named their film The Fourth Action. Wrapping her body in sacking, he drove to the same spot on the Taihang Road where he had left the remains of Chai Wankit and Leung Sao Wan. There are different types of rapists. Psychologists over the years have tried to define rapists by their motives. In 1987, five years after Lam started his serial attacks, Robert Hazelwood, former FBI agent, and Anne Walbert Burgess, professor at Boston College, began to define types of rapists. In simple terms, there are four categories. Power-assertive rapists, who premeditatively target strangers. They desire to overpower, dominate and control their victims, and in this desire, excessive force can be applied often leading to accidental murder. The second criminal profile is power reassurance rapists. Again here, the attacks are premeditated, but come from a desire to fulfil a sexual fantasy. Offenders are described, and I quote, as polite gentleman rapists. Next, there are anger retaliatory rapists. These individuals harbour hatred and anger towards the opposite sex and act out their rapes as a form of punishment. They often select substitute female victims who reminds the offender of a female who he hates. Lastly, we have anger excitation rapists. These offenders have the need to incite terror in the minds of their victims and plan out ritualistic torture to satisfy lust or sexual fantasy. Their victims are often strangers and selected as they fit a role within the anger excitation rapist fantasy. Dr. Oliver Chan from Hong Kong City University, in his book on understanding necrophilia, concluded that Lam was a power-resistant rapist, typically in their mid-twenties, living in a fantasy world with no history of normal sexual relationships. Yet he also falls into the last category, inspired by terror and ritualistic torture, with souvenirs and body parts of the victims saved for his own pleasure. It is common for anger excitation rapists to move victims' bodies from the place they were killed to another location in order to delay discovery or complete ritualistic post-mortems, as Lam did on his victims. It was the 3rd of July, 1982, five months into Lam's killing spree. Next time on Catching Worms... Well, was it only four? Were there any more? Um, he had the capability to um, develop his own photographs. Uh, maybe, like, maybe he got a kick out of it. He didn't explain why. I don't know. Some single lady is our face. Put it this way: the young boy leapt at him. 
screaming and swearing. The newspaper, all, all, all we talking, the TV, all, all we talking. Eventually, we realised it was a, a pair of severed female breasts, and we didn't have a head. This has been a Create podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a five-star rating as it helps others to find us. You can follow us on Instagram at CatchingWormsHK. With special thanks to Dr. Caroline Copeland, Detective Martin Richmond, Michelle, Hong Kong Noir by Feng Chishuan, published by Blacksmith Books, and Dr. Oliver Chan. And thank you for listening. Catching worms. Zhuk chong. This term means to get yourself into trouble, causing unnecessary difficulties. It may seem like an odd phrase, but this slang is often used as an abbreviation of the full saying zhuk chong yap si fat. That involves putting said worms up your rear end, which to anyone's imagination definitely spells trouble indeed. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.